and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. And it's a new year. It's 2023. And we're still doing this. Can Tom, you believe it? Tom, I'm joined today by my friend Quentin Smith. Who has apparently forgotten how to podcast and just wants to interrupt all the time. Uh, and I'm joined by Tom Brewster. Tom, do you still love board <laughs> games in the year 2023? Yes, I do. My love of board games was tested pretty thoroughly over the festive period because my family was sort of collectively, you know, asked me to bring games to them. They're like, oh, let's play a game. And then the game of choice that they were sort of obsessed with over Christmas was uh, BBC's or ITV's The Wheel, the board game, uh, <laughs> which is... As far as I can understand it, like a game show where Michael McIntyre straps celebrities onto a giant wheel and spins them around whilst asking them trivia questions. And how does the board game, presumably the board game really aces the, the trivia part of that, <laughs> of that conceit. It was good. Yeah, no, it really manages the trivia. It doesn't quite manage the locomotion. I don't know what I would give it out of 10. Maybe a sort of a, a week four. Mm. Um it was baffling that game it gave me like a sort of um a new appreciation for the amount of work that goes into you know like actual board game designer board games yeah because because the wheel the board game had a thing in which so you'd answer a trivia question and then if you got that trivia question right you just answer another trivia question and so on and so forth until you win the game until you get one wrong and so the second team only got about maybe two turns in the whole of the game because that sounds like they dodged a bullet judging from the uh, design of uh, of this particular game. Do you enjoy trivia? Yes, but only in areas that I actually like like, I think. What areas do you like? Music, trivia, yep. board games, trivia. Trivia, <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, Video just, oh, games, game trivia. Trivia. <laughs> wow, you're living a real full and rich life. <laughs> I played uh, Don't Get Got with my niece and nephew on Christmas Day. Oh, nice. Um, yep. And I'll tell you what, Tom, it's like taking candy from a baby. They just didn't know. <laughs> it was like, you know, watching, you know, like Muhammad Ali go eight rounds with, you know, a turtle or something. Mm -hmm, it was just mm -hmm. it was a brutal. toddler. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, one of my missions was get someone to correct your maths. Do you know how easy that is with a 10 year old? <laughs> <laughs> I, they couldn't wait to correct my maths. The Actually, honestly, the worst thing about playing Don't Get Got with my niece and nephew was the way they would seem genuinely crestfallen when they got got. But, yeah. it, but you didn't let that take away from your victory, I presume. It you didn't. still sort of like did the sort of, you went like, oorah, and like flexed on them. Like the rule about being a cool uncle is that you just never <laughs> hold back at any point. You treat, <laughs> you treat them like an adult. And, yeah. you know, if that means like suplexing them onto the sofa because they, you know, dared to look at you funny, then, yeah. you know. If that means getting them to cry over a board game, it's worth it. Yeah, no, that's a lesson they will always... <laughs> You're making me feel bad. I feel like I'm losing the uh, <laughs> losing the sympathy of the listener. So, Tom, would you like to describe the uh, board games we're going to be talking about on this podcast? On this podcast, we're going to be talking about three entire games. We're going to be talking about Ginkagopolis, a game so abstract and strange that I don't even know how Quinn's is really going to get his teeth into it. We're going to be talking about The Wolves, a game about managing a rowdy pack of feline. They're not feline. What is a wolf? <laughs> Lupine. Lupine buddies who are going to go around a map and do some area control on it. And we're going to talk about the search for lost species, a spiritual successor or just a straight up successor to the search for planet X, which was a game about finding a planet. But this one's about finding a rat. <laughs> Tom, I'll tell you right now, I'm really excited to talk about that third game, The Search for Lost Species. Oh, well, um, let's just like speed run through the rest of the podcast so we can get to that. I, I don't want to talk about these two games. 
Well, Quins, you have to. We've made it through the sting and we're into the sort of wild abandon of our chat about Gingopolis. This is on the record. You have to muster some enthusiasm. You have to get the listener on side. Ah, okay, here we go. Honestly, I like Gingopolis a lot. And I think, Tom, you're being mean, but I think you liked Gingopolis as well, didn't you? I, I, didn't you? I did like... I, are we calling it Gingopolis or Gingopolis? It's, it's Gingopolis, isn't it? But it's French, so... Uh, <laughs> Gingopoli? Gingopoli? Uh, uh, that's probably as accurate as you're going to get. So yeah, um, this is published by Pearl Games and designed by Xavier Georges, um, who is the designer between a couple of Shut Up and Sit Down uh, favorites. Trois, the absolutely terrific, uh, now getting on a bit in years, dice game, but you know, is still fighting fit for that. Um, and then Carnegie, um, which is a more recent release about the American man Carnegie, and he did some um, uh, capitalism in America, and now you can experience that capitalism in a board game. How would you describe Carnegie? You played it more than I did. It's kind of about building an office. It is, um, isn't it? And then men mostly. fall over and get really tired in that office. <laughs> yes, exactly. You have to sort of cart around some sleepy men between floors of an office and make them do capitalism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. It's good, isn't it? Um, okay, but Gingopolis, Gingopolis or Gingopoli, um, however you like to, to have a stab at pronouncing it, um, is a 2012 game that's been out of print for a long time. And now Pearl Games has brought it back, which is good news for everybody because this board game is... It's a good little game, but as we've hinted out earlier in this podcast, it's also pretty abstract. So here's what you're doing. In Gingopolis, you and your uh, enemies are building together a city of the future. And it's all the art depicts it as like, you know, lush and it's kind of solar punk. You know, you're building yeah. in, in coordination with like a tree. Everything looks like it's made out of some kind of space age material that is probably good for the environment, but frankly, looks a lot like plastic. <laughs> um, uh, so in Gingopolis, you've got this grid of tiles, which is the city in the middle of the table that everyone's building. And to begin with, this is just a three by three grid. So you, it's, it's a city three long and three tall. Um, then on your turn, uh, you, every player will receive a hand of cards showing different sort of, oh, <laughs> it's tricky. Every building in the game is a card. And then every direction that you can sprawl in is also a card. Um, so just if you google it it's way easier than me ham-fistedly trying to explain <laughs> how this is yeah if you're driving somewhere just get your phone out get your phone out it's fine put, put that steering wheel between your knees uh don't do that <laughs> uh, especially not for a board game because you would be dying in the worst possible way with it no one wants to die with a bgg page open on their phone in the car for the, for mm. the cops to fish out and look at and be like <laughs> wow this guy was a real dweeb okay so uh yes in Gingopolis, you've got a hand of cards showing buildings and directions you might spoil it, and you've got three choices you can do on your turn. Also, I should stress, it's a Euro game. You're trying to get victory points. So your three choices are, you can take a card um, that you don't want other players to have and throw it away. You just remove it from the game, goes into the discard pile, you burn that card, and you get resources, depending on what card you threw away. Um, but you don't really want to do that because that's not going to get you points. The things that are going to get you points are the two other things you can choose to do on your turn, which is taking one of the sort of directions the city can sprawl in, and then playing that card and then taking a tile from behind your screen, a new building, and then building in that direction. So if you take the A card, which sprawls in the, the A direction, honestly, like really can't stress this enough, just Google image search this game to explain what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and then you expand the city in that direction, which gives you some resources because it causes all the uh, buildings you're building adjacent to to give you resources. But the core of the game is playing a building card um, on your turn, and then placing a tile to build vertically on top of that building. Because Gingopolis is a three-dimensional game, everybody. Um, oh, 
when was the last time you played a game in a third dimension? I thought that only happened on Star Trek. No, now you can do it with Gingopolis. Um, so if there's like the red number seven building, you could play the red number seven card and then play it with the 12 blue tile. And then you take the 12 blue building and place that on top of the red seven. The red seven is removed from the game. And in fact, you take that red seven card that no one can access because you've plowed it into the firmament of the building you're building on top of. <laughs> and you take that card and it goes in front of you and it builds up your engine. Because as you play Gingopolis and as you build on top of other buildings, those building cards go in front of you and will make the other actions more powerful. For example, um, a card might say, like that red, whatever number I said, seven, um, mm -hmm. the re that red seven building card you've got might say, okay, great. Now, whenever you build vertically on top of another building, you'll get a little benefit. You'll get a resource or a tile or something like that. So this, this is kind of the game for its first third, I would say. Um, it's just this funky little engine builder where you're building a city together with your friends and really you're trying to uh, shrewdly gather as many resources in your turn as possible, or spend those resources to build up your engine so that when you ditch cards or sprawl the city or build vertically, you're getting even more benefits. Um, and so you'll get, you know, seven, eight, nine cards in front of you, all of which are giving you more resources every time you do anything. Very fun, very satisfying. But the longer the game of Gingopolis, Gingopolis, Gingopoli goes on for, um, the more the game transforms, and Tom, you and I really quite enjoyed the sort of lycanthrope-like transformation this game very slowly goes through. Oh, yes. Because Ooh, yes. Um, one of the resources you can collect is victory points, you know, so as you're, you know, building, you might be getting little bits of victory points here and there. But a big source of victory points in this game, it comes from the fact that at the end of the game, when you've used all the tiles or run out of little resource tokens, um, you look at the board from above and every contiguous, what's called a neighborhood, so that's big group of contiguous yellow buildings or every a touching group of red buildings or blue buildings, um, is going to be giving a ton of victory points to whoever has the most, whoever built the most of it. And, and buildings are worth more the higher up they go. So like if you're building the third floor, because there's two buildings below your tile, that's going to be worth three points in terms of your ownership of that mm -hmm. neighborhood. Um, so what starts as a game about generating resources and building up your engine slowly becomes an area control game. And the turns get slower because, Tom, you and I were just playing this two players, but we were, by the end, really stressing about every turn. <laughs> like, we would, we had not even AP, but just long bouts of calculation where, because, of course, you're not just trying to take control of these neighborhoods by, you know, turning a one yellow building in a big yellow district into a red building. Maybe you've cut the neighborhood in half and in doing so also expanded the red neighborhood to the right. So that's yes. a rough teach of... Gingapolis. Tom, what do you think? I, I I really like this game. I think it is very good. It is very robust. It is very abstract and it's very strange, but you're completely right that it just transforms in such a, a wonderful way, where early on you're just sort of like gently building up a neighborhood, trying to get some footholds in the area control, but you're mainly worrying about your own personal engine and getting resources on a turn-by-turn -turn basis. But by the end, it is just this like, it's about trying to secure sort of points or like footholds in the like city that you're building where you can't be contested. Because something we didn't mention is that you can build over the top of other players' buildings and take control of that space. But often doing so is going to cost you quite a few resources unless you have exactly the right tile for the exact right moment. So it's about not only are you trying to work out how you can get enough resources to pay for an extension, not only are you thinking about where you're going to place that extension, but you're also thinking about where you can take control from your opponent or where they can take control of your stuff 
as well. Yeah, um, and and it's maybe maybe you, you because you always have that option on your turn to burn a card for a resource. You always mm-hmm. do have that option. You rather than fighting your opponent for something, you can just throw away a card they need. Oh, because that's something we haven't mentioned. This is actually a drafting game. Yes. Um, so when you receive your hand of cards on Gingop, uh, on a turn of Gingopolis, like every, I think you always have four cards to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, when you spend one of card one of, one of those cards or destroy it for resources, you then take that hand and pass it clockwise. And then once you once every player has received the hand from the player on their right, they draw one new card into their hand. So you are playing a game of uh, of card denial where maybe you don't want to get into a huge fight with someone, but you will definitely throw away the cards so they can't choose to get into a fight with you. <laughs> um, I really love um, that like sort of like filtered draft where you're getting like one, just one card is being Yeah, it's interesting, isn't time. it? I was very excited to see what card I would add to each hand each turn right. because it transforms that hand. And it, it's unusual as well. Like I'm so used to drafting games being like, you get a massive hand of like 10 cards and you're passing that back and forth and it's on you to try and remember exactly what's in that hand. But with just four cards, you know, it's pretty easy to keep track of the cards that people are and aren't spending at any given time. Or at least I'm sure it would be easy on your third or fourth game in our first game. Simply, there is a big hurdle in trying to understand what you are meant to do on turn one of this game. It's funny. Um, it's, it's, I, 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 I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here, but what you're describing here of like, this is an abstract game and I don't quite know what to do. Mm. Like, you know, in games that are genre pieces, like, you know, Roland Wright's or deck builders, we've played enough of those that generally, you know, the shape of the strategy that is quite good for, I don't know, if you're playing a worker placement game, you generally know that getting more workers is pretty good. So when you get faced with a game that's abstract, um, sometimes you can just be like, I don't know how I'm supposed to play. You're describing that now, having that with Gingopolis. The next game we're about to discuss, The Wolves, I had it so bad. <laughs> I, I could not play The Wolves at all. And you you whipped the whipped the bejesus out of me. But you're saying that so did you actually find Gingopolis quite tricky to 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 sort of understand? Yeah, I just think on that on that first few sort of on those first few turns when you have in your hand a bunch of cards that represent tiles but those tiles don't like those are the places you're going to place your tiles from behind your screen and when you place a tile onto the board it's going to bring in a new card into a deck which is going to get reshuffled and filtered back into your hand and like what interacts with what at what stage and what even crucially is going to earn you any points yeah it's quite soupy to start with it is Um, i mean just the fact that the three buildings that are giving you resources as you build next to them are red buildings will give you resources which let uh you essentially construct stuff um blue buildings uh, will give you tiles which are essentially are what you can choose to construct so blueprints essentially but then yellow buildings give you victory points and it's it's a little funky to be playing a game where from turn 1 it's like do you want to build or do you want to veep and veeps are how you win so yes. that is kind of a teasing weird like when i mean always yeah victory points are good and just <laughs> facing players with that decision of like do you want more control over how the city gets built or do you just want the points that win you the game? You know, yeah. it's uh, it, that, that decision never gets easier. And it was very pleasing that at the end of the game, you'd gone fully down that route and I'd gone fully down the city route because at the end of the game, it was like, oh, how many, you know, sort of liquid points do you have? How many points do you have on you? And I was like, I've got four points. And you were like, I've got 42. Yeah, I just <laughs> kept triggering those yellow buildings and kept collecting points. But I only just yeah. scraped a win over you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because I was completely laser focused on how can I take over your territory? How can I manipulate, you know, because you want to build into the city at some point because it gets you more cards, which, you know, improve your engine so that you could juice more points. But necessarily by building into the city, you increase the possibility of these like big pools of points that people can try and capture. Well, it's I, really engaging. I, I think it's I think it's honestly really good. It's really good. I don't know if we're going to do a video review of it because I don't know if we have that much to say about it. It's an abstract Euro game that's a bit mm-hmm. old and it's just fantastic. But um, yeah, I, I had so many great moments of it. Like uh, you had built those cards that you put in front of you so that you get generate little bonuses whenever you take certain actions. There yeah. was, do you remember that pinch point about a third of the way into our game where um, you had in front of, I, I realized that because of how we were choosing to build over the, the city, we had just happened to have built over all the resources, all the tiles that give you the resources that let you build stuff. Mm, mm. And I was looking at the board like, why, do, why don't I have resources? How do I get them? Oh my God, we've almost eliminated all the ways I can get them. And I was about <laughs> to be like, Tom, what are we going to do? And then I realized that the cards you put in front of you that give you benefits from doing actions were just giving you resources anyway. So this was actually a problem <laughs> only for me. And then suddenly I had to be like, oh, well, I guess I have to build an entire new neighborhood of these tiles that I need in Tom. Oh, Cousins. that's why you did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, otherwise I just, there was no way to do it. Um, I also, we, uh, this is, every, lots of games do this, right? But they're, they're so hot in Gingopolis. Um, Gingopolis gives you these two tokens that you can spend at any point during the game to discard the entire hand of cards you've just been handed from the player to your right mm-hmm. and draw four new cards. So if you're fishing for a particular building because you're thinking like, oh, if I get this building, I can build over it and take control of this neighborhood. That's great. You can pull a new hand. But that is such a fantastically uh, hard decision because you and I did that and then we didn't get the card we wanted and we realized we'd just drawn four cards that were really good for our opponents and we were about to hand them over. (laughs) It's pure gambling um, in a way that's like, you don't have to do it because those tokens give you points at the end if you don't spend them. But I love a game where it's like, you want to you wanna have a little gamble? Yeah? Yeah? You want to gamble? Ah, oh, it didn't work that, out for you. It's interesting that you're describing this game in these kinds of terms, because so my, my sort of like, my last note on Gingopolis, right, was that like, I really enjoy it. I think it's got this really fantastic blend of like strategy and tactics, you know, appraising drafts, you're trying to do this sort of long-term plan. There's also, also something just very pleasing about this kind of like, 3D space that emerges. You have these sort of layers of buildings. And I really like the fact that the the art for the tiles is just this sort of like the building number one will have sort of a little tiny house and then building 20 will be like a massive version of that house that's been added to in loads of different ways. It's cute. But I wonder if it's like too abstract. I wonder if it lacks a bit of that drama, a bit of that spice. Because you're speaking about it in terms that are very like excitable and dramatic, but I didn't feel that. And I think that I've played Ginkopolis twice now. I played it once uh, at the last, last PAX Unplugged. uh, And I played it once with you the other day. And each time I've come away from it, I feel like I've listened to like a really great lounge jazz record or like a really (laughs) good Bossa Nova album. Like I've been pleased for the last 40 minutes um, but I can't exactly pick out the highs and the lows of, of that experience. I can't pick out the sort of the hows and the whys of I, why I, I enjoyed myself. Look, I feel you. Like that makes sense. But on the but you know how decadent you sound. It's like I spent forty minutes and this game pleased me, and that's not good enough. Um, <laughs> look, look, I, I think Ingopolis is cool. I think people should check it out. Um, I'm very glad it's back in print. But I think this discussion. <laughs> I, I the only way I can respond to your question is by talking about the next game in our list. Okay. Um, I think it's time for that. If you if you're good, to, uh, if you would like to introduce people to what 
the game of The Wolves Is, which is another board game we played recently that's pretty decent. I don't think The Wolves Is as good as Gingopolis, but I had the exact problem you're describing. Um, so would you like to describe The Wolves to the people at home? Yeah, sure. I can describe The Wolves. Uh, this is a board game from Pandasaurus. It's about being some wolves, being a pack of wolves. Uh, it's designed by Ashwin Kamath and Clarence Simpson. And basically the way this works is you've got this big hex-based map in front of you that's like a sort of stretch of land that you're going to try and occupy the best with your pack of wolves. Uh, you've got these little wolf meeples. Weeples? Weeples, sure. Weeples, that you're going to put onto the board in various territories in an effort to try and control them. And the sort of the core mechanic of the wolves is really interesting. You've got loads of different actions you can take on your turn, but the core conceit is that to take one of those actions, you need to flip these terrain tiles at the top of your player board. You've got uh, like six, I think, of these oblong tiles that each represent a different kind of terrain that is also represented on the board. So you've got like a desert tile, and you can see on the corners that on the other side of the desert tile, there's a forest tile. You've got a plains tile, and you can see in the corners that on the other side of that plains tile, there's a tundra tile, for example. And to do anything in the game, you're going to need to flip those tiles from one side to the other that will tell you what terrain you can act on. So for example, I'm playing the wolves, and I want to take a movement action, which means I need to flip one of my tiles, but then the tile that I'm flipping is what terrain I'm moving to. So if I flip a desert tile, I have to move my wolves that turn, two desert tiles. And that's kind of the core conceit is that you have this spread of these terrain tiles. And normally you only have to, well, not normally, but for movement, you only have to flip one. But to do the more interesting actions in the game, you have to flip two or three or even four, citation needed, tiles all at once to even take that action. Um, so for example, you could do something like constructing a lair, which is going to give you sort of uh, uh, some presence in an area when you score area majority. And to construct a lair, you need to flip two tiles at once to a different side, and you can put a lair in that kind of terrain. And then to construct a den, which is like a lair, but even better, you're going to need to do three tiles at once. Or to convert the little neutral wolves that are on the board, you're going to need to convert three at once. I don't even know if that's true. I think it's, it's not. Two. It's, 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 it's to, to build a den is to, the small one is to flip two. To build a lair, the big one, you flip three. But most importantly, to dominate another player's wolf, because this is a <gasps> game of dominating an enemy wolf, uh, yes. you have to flip three. And I could not do that for Toffee. <laughs> and the reason you're doing all this is just for area control. So at various points in the game, you've got these tokens that are on each sort of rough boundaried area of the board. Uh, and those tokens are going to score when you reach certain points in the game. They're going to give points to the person who has the most wolves and dens and lairs in that area. Um, and that's kind of it. Like that's how the game works. You do several rounds of area control scoring. And at the end, the person who has the most points wins. It's a very straightforward thing. And I, I found this quite, like, easy to pass, I guess. I didn't really struggle with it, but you were just, you had your head in your hands, not sure what you were going to do with these terrain tiles, with these flipping, right? Okay, you know when you're on, like, um, uh, a really, really bad voiceover IP call, and you say something, and then there's a silence, and then four seconds later, you hear the other person, but you're speaking at the same time. That, that delay in communication, that's how my brain felt in trying to, to play this game. Where I would, I, I, I would, you would, I don't know, like we would both be fighting for control of an area and I'd send my wolves in and then I'd be like, oh, I should really try and dominate one of Tom's wolves. 
how should I do that? And then I, I would just hear static for 60 seconds. And then I would hear you say, yeah, I'm dominating one of your wolves. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Cause that's what I was, I should have done. I couldn't like, I don't know. I was, I was one step behind you for every turn of this game. Like, and I, I don't know, there's a bit of engine building in the walls as well. To, yes. uh, so one of my notes I have written down here um, is it felt a bit wolfy, but not really very wolfy. Like, oh, I'd I, agree. I'd agree. Yeah, I like as these wolves are very like mathematically minded. They want to build up their wolf engine and dominate wolf area. I mean, controlling areas makes sense. You you know, yeah. wolves want to have territory, but like the amount of arithmetic in this game, it's like I don't think wolves are sat with like abacuses being like, well, the lair adds three. Yes. You know, two dens add two. Is there something wolfy about? the fact that you sort of have to shift which areas you care about. You know what? I'm saying this already. I don't think it's very wealthy. <laughs> that means like, I want you to finish what you're saying just for, sh you for care, shame's sake. You care about one area on one round and then a different area on the next um, and you have to be mobile. Being mobile is wolfy. Moving around I is wolfy. I did, I did really like... There were, okay, there were moments in this game that felt very wolfy. Like we would... Because you know which areas are going to be scored one after another, which is weird. Uh, in, in wolf terms but i like <laughs> yes. i would you know you and i both both start building some dens in one of the big terrain tiles that is going to be scored next and then i just would realize i probably wasn't going to win this so i would you know spend a movement and then run three wolves out that tile because i'd upgraded my movement and it felt very wolfy to be like no we're gonna let the other pack have this we're gonna go somewhere else yes. and do that that felt um that felt <laughs> I guess that that's sort of like territorial passive aggressive kind of like you know there's a bit of a standoffishness about the game right when yeah. like you'll sort of move your your troops your wolves into an area and then kind of realize you're bested and you'll skulk off to some other place to try and get a foothold in there instead yeah there, there is skulking there is like if you you can make it so that another player can't sort of um get close enough to your wolves to dominate them and then you end up just looking at each other from across a tile, um, which feels quite wolfy. <laughs> um, but 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 my goodness, there's so much calculation. Like there's so many, so much calculations of movement points and how many points you need to dominate. And like and like to just return to what we were saying at the beginning, I couldn't flip my tiles to do any of this. Like I just couldn't. Yes. I and I I I uh, I, I did or another note I had here is like. Uh, well, I'll, I'll read exactly what I've written down because I can't read it and speak at the same time. But th this game is smart and clicky and have teeth. Um, and I got properly foxed by this game. It feels more like foxy cunning than wolves. But I guess, you know, the, it has wolves in the like area control. It's like, it's confused <laughs> as to what animal it feels like. I'll say that. But yeah, I just couldn't, in the same way that you're describing with Gengopolis, where it's like, you enjoy the process of it, but can't really connect with the strategy. That's how I was yeah. with the wolves. I could not figure out what was going on. And then it was over and I definitely lost. I did find the like, you're right that those, it's like passing how far you can move and how many points you need to dominate and what you need to do this, that and the other and all the area control is like one task. And then you also have to do this flipping terrain tile task on top of it. And that terrain tile thing, because all the terrain, you know, like your grassland terrain has a rock terrain on the other side you not only have to know what you're going to flip this turn to take an action, but you're also planning the next turn because you know that you're going to flip that to a rock, which means you can match that with an existing rock that's somewhere else to do another, yada, yada, yada. So you sort of have to constantly have, like, you're, like, caching two turns 
in your brain at once. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, well, you, you were. Have to... I wasn't. I was just <laughs> looking down at what tiles I had and was like, well, I guess I'm doing this bad move. <laughs> but like that motion of if, if you can do that, um, and and if you can have those two turns in your head at once, very, very satisfying to be able to be like, I'm going to do this this turn, and that will roll on to this. And then you have to sort of appraise each turn sort of one in advance, um, which is really nice. It's very tight and very satisfying. But ultimately, I think both of us are in the same place with the Wolves, regardless of how much we sort of enjoyed it, which is that I don't know if we want to play it necessarily again. Um, yeah, I, not because I, it's not because it's bad. It's it's clearly very good and tight and satisfying and fun. But like, I felt like I sort of saw all I needed to see on one game. Yeah, I wouldn't say the Wolves is very good and tight and satisfying. I would say it's, it is good and tight and satisfying. But out of the two sort of like confusing area control games we've got, I would absolutely recommend. I feel like Gingopolis is like is uh, is very strong, and the Wolves is is merely strong. So how about that for a statement? Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. That's very decisive, I think. That's very consumer-focused. Yeah. Um, no, well, what you've I, done there. Should we talk about our third and final game, which is the <laughs> one that confused the crap out of both of us? Oh, my goodness. So, like, I want to preface talking about the Search for Lost Species by saying that, like, we said that the Search for Planet X felt like an exam, and we were kind of joking, <laughs> but kind of serious. Uh, yeah, the Search for Planet X, is an, it, it felt like an Oh, God. Okay, so if the Search for Planet X felt like an exam... Ha, ha the search for lost species was an exam that you and i both failed in real time <laughs> it was like the the anxiety by the end of our game with the search for lost species was like it was like the two of us looking up from our desks at each other and doing that that moment of eye contact like and you'll have to beep this tom but have you f***ed this as well yeah you have okay you know the dread it was the of- way that like it, it was the way that at the start of the game it was like haha this feels like a test haha and by the end it was just complete silence there was like i feel like the music had stopped at some point as well and it was just us heads down looking at a piece of paper like quietly screaming it becomes increasingly stressful as well when you're like oh initially it's like oh this is tricky and then it's like oh this is really hard and then i think the silence happened when you and i realized that oh we both might just fail this. Like, yes. Okay, so, oh God, uh, enough preamble. So the Search for Planet X was something we did a video review on, I think back in 2021. Um, it was a real surprise from Renegade Games uh, and and, uh, ooh, and designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. A really interesting design. It felt very fresh when we played the Search for Planet X, which is why we chose to do a video review. Um, this is a very handsome but slim box in which players are going to be doing a deduction puzzle together with not really some player interaction. I would say there's like marginally more player interaction than there is in a roll and write. Um, but mostly you are just experiencing this thing together. And what the search for Planet X was, was uh, you choosing to spend time to do bits of research to try and map out the cosmos. So the game ends when someone finds Planet X. Um, that's going to be tricky because Planet X appears in the cosmos as an empty space. So uh, the game has something like 16 segments of sky, depending on whether you play it on the hard or harder mode. Um, And so like, you know, there's going to be like four asteroids and two nebula and three gas giants or whatever. Um, And only when you've kind of mapped out the cosmos will you realize like, oh, well, there's there and of the there are six empty spaces in the sky and then a seventh empty space, which is secretly where Planet X is. So you have Mm -hmm. to kind of deduce where everything is in order to finally deduce that, oh, Planet X must be here because this technically can't be an empty space. It's bizarre and tricky and fascinating, and it involves an app that gives that drip feeds you information. Um, really interesting game. But now we have a straight-up sequel, and uh, as Tom teased earlier, 
you found a planet. Now, can you find a snake? Um, <laughs> so, in when you I can't this- remember what the name of the snake was that we were trying to find, but it it really made me laugh for some reason. Oh, I'll, I'll open the box now and get it. I feel like it was called like the something minute or something like that. It had like a, or, or the digit or the nimbus. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> I, I drew one of the cards from the deck and I thought I was looking at the, um, <laughs> at the, the animals, the, the animals you're looking for. But I drew a card that was swamp experts. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of fitting to, the, to imagine you would play this whole game looking for someone that can tell you what the hell is going on. <laughs> Let me get the cards. Uh, Tom, we've kind of, Ruined this segment by Eric Martining it. Would you like to explain to the people at home what Eric Martining it is? Oh no, did we do that with this game? Uh, we did. We we uh well sometimes you know you'll finish a game and and you'll just you know you'll be a bit tired as we were after playing the Search for Lost Species. We were kind of exhausted because we did an exam and and rather than putting away all the pieces nicely, you you Eric Martinet of 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 BGG News fame, where you just swipe all of the pieces into the box in one big motion and let them all tumble in and and now Quinn's has to reference a card and, and he can't find it. I mean, it's taken him an unbelievable uh, amount of time. Eric Martin says he saves more time than he loses by sweeping because like he statistically never knows if he's going to go back to a game and play it. Right. So the games he goes back to where the box is a mess, like he's unless, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but that's less frequent than, anyway, apparently it saves him time. We're discovering it does not save us time. Right, okay, I've got the animals here. Um, the you could, Oh, yeah, we were looking for a lizard called Zug's Monitor. That's the one! Um, the Zug's other animals monitor. in this game you can look for are the Siascops Owl, the East Sepik Monkey Grasshopper. Imagine looking for a grasshopper, Jesus. Oh, my um, goodness. The Wandiwoi Tree Kangaroo, the Aru Flying <laughs> Fox, or Attenborough's Long-Beaked Echidna. And you can learn about all these animals from the insides of the player screens. Excellent. Um, okay, so the difference between so this is really just a straight sequel. So we're not going to be giving it too much coverage. It's it's ninety five percent of the rules are the same. Um, right. So in the Search for Planet X, you're trying to you've got a kind of uh, a, imagine a whole bunch of pie segments. You're trying to figure out what's in each pie segment, which is like every angle of the sky. Astrologists, astrologists don't don't write in. We know this is uh, oh astronomers, <laughs> not astrologers. Uh, well, neither of you write in because you're getting it wrong in so many dimensions. It's Shut great. up! Um, right, the search for lost species is different because now you've got a hex map. You've got an island that you're going to be walking around, and your little pawn on this island has to move about. So, like, you've got weird new geographic considerations of uh, well, first off, you've got adjacency rules. So it's like you're not. Oh, those. The, you know, if you find a butterfly, it won't be adjacent to a kumquat or whatever. I can't. I'm drawing a blank on all animal names. Um, a kumquat but is a is a shut, is like a shut fruit. up. So <laughs> uh, as you, but but now basically you've got a little pawn who's going to be walking around the island. So it, it takes time to walk around the island. Um, you can take a boat around the coast and look for animals on the coast, but then you necessarily do a huge sweep of coast, so that's complicated. Mm. Or you can hoof it. You can walk into the island to look for a, you know, a kumquat on a mountain or something, but that takes more time. Um, right. But there's a pleasant geography where, like, if I see Tom is hanging around on the north coast a lot, um, in one of the game's phases where you all have to publish research as to what animals <laughs> you think might be in certain segments, which is, a, just as it was in the Search for Planet X, absolutely hilarious that you, you show up late to this, like, academic convention and they're like, oh, you've been mapping the island. And you're like, yeah, no, I know where everything is, definitely. Because <laughs> you get points for publishing research, but you don't know if, if it's right. Um, yeah. yeah, but if you see someone hanging, if I see Tom hanging around on the north side of the island, probably his research as to what animals are there is going to be correct. And I don't know. Um, it's harder 
You thought finding a planet was hard. Holy crap. Looking for Zug's monitor almost killed us. <laughs> um, Tom, how did, what was your experience of playing the search for lost species? I, I genuinely, this is going to be a really rough podcast discussion because I, I just feel like my brain hurts trying to remember what happened in our game of the search for lost species. It's like the way that you have to work it out where your sort of your animal in question, where Zug's monitor is, is by working out where everything else is. And everything else has a really irritating special little rule. <laughs> and, and like, there's I've got them here. More... Would you, shall, I, shall I read them? Oh yeah. Tell me so, about the rules. So tell me about them. If you, if you find a Python, when you're looking around, you know, that's not adjacent to a couscous. Um, yep. The couscous uh, are going to be near the other couscous. Um, yes. Toads are going to be adjacent to an empty area. And we both like the lorries. The lorries, which is a kind of bird, is like the only crumb of generosity the game gives you. Because the lorries uh, are all adjacent in a two by two uh, hex kind of yes. grid. So once you find, if you find one lorry, then you know that you, you will be able to draw a shape of lorries quite soon. And that clears up a lot of the territory for you to search. Yeah. And, and it is completely infuriating when, because I spent a lot of my early turns of the game just sweeping, trying to find a single lorry to try and start my my search and failing multiple rounds in a row. But that's all data. That's all data. You know it's... Well, you'd, you'd think it's all data. <laughs> but yeah, there's no. something very disheartening about being like, are there any lorries? And the game says, no. And that doesn't really give you any information. <laughs> but it kind of... Um, well, no, yeah, it's not. It doesn't... But at the end, not finding animals that you look for is kind of e even more information that oh, like, it can be. It's hard. It's like, great, it could be one of the other three animals, or empty, or it could be empty <laughs> but actually have the thing in that I need to be finding. To clarify, <sighs> we, we felt overconfident because we basically found Planet X last time we played yes. Search for Planet X. Um, but So we played the hard side of the board, where the island is a weird hourglass shape, and it's more... It's more oh, no, no. The hard side is... The island is just a is like an, is a, a circle, which means yes. that everything is adjacent to everything is, else. Is adjacent so it's a nightmare. To, yeah. Whereas the easy side of the board, the island is more shaped like a a, a bone, like a cartoon bone. You know. Wow, I'm so glad we played the hard side of the board <laughs> on this well, one. I was I was overconfident, but honestly, um, uh, the search for Planet X. If I, it's not really a criticism, but that game would have more staying power if it was a bit harder. And look, look, honestly. I'm really happy that this box came out. I like the Search Planet uh -huh. X. I like that there's a sequel now that's like a bit more grounded and is full of animals. It's more colorful. I like that it's a bit harder because it kind of makes me feel like I'm not done with it and makes me want to go back. Um, I just, I like, and I like that this game got a sequel because I think the Search Planet X is good and interesting. Yeah. And I like that um, I will meet people now in future who've played one or either of these games and I can just look at them. And we don't even need to talk about the game. And I'll be like, oh, you played The Search for Lost Species. And they'll be like, yep. And then I can just look at the light go out in their eyes a little bit and be like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's just so hard. <laughs> it's just really hard. <laughs> I think we've had it too good with these roll and writes where, you know, you sit down and you don't play. You, you write down on a piece of paper and it's all generous. I yeah. am very here for the new genre of games where you sit down and you write on a piece of paper and you have a bad time. I like. I really enjoyed the sort of arc of our game being represented by how many different colors of pen we were using. Oh man, yeah. There was like a point about halfway through where we whipped out a highlighter and then it was like, <laughs> right, here we go. And then like, just because, so the point we got to that I think is ultimately my only mark against this game is that the point that we got to at the end 
we, neither of us could entirely figure out how it was possible for because we, we we lost right we just we didn't manage to do it, it we both it, it made turned our from guess. a competitive game into a cooperative game where you and i were sharing notes and then yeah it, exactly then it turned into no game at all because we ran <laughs> but away. then that was also a very weird conversation because both of us had got like one or two things slightly wrong but were convinced <laughs> that we'd got them right <laughs> to clarify um, i found that i found zug's monitor at the end like after using your notes <laughs> i was able to um Using my like, notes and yeah. three tries, you eventually pin the tail on the dog. That's donkey. correct, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a. Uh, that's maybe the one mark against it was that it did that did happen at the end, right? That it maybe was so hard for us, and I do think we had a very unusual, you know, like generation of of where things were. It was yeah. crazy at the end. I feel um, that I, I worry about you know putting this out there because uh, we were playing with an, uh, a non final version of the app. So yes. it could be that we were just part of the playtesting data and that mm-hmm. the app is, you know, like being refined and removing um, island generations where it's too hard. Right, to right, right. It doesn't really surprise me that they're maybe having a bit more trouble with the app because I think this is a much more complicated technical process to make mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Uh, rather than the planet X, which just sat there being a planet, each of these animals you're looking for has their own rules um, yeah. like, to help you find them. Um, and then the adjacency of the island of the island hexes is surely quite complicated. So yeah, wouldn't surprise me if Renegade are having a bit of trouble uh, getting it to a state where it's rock solid all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I would recommend people pick up this game or or, or the Search of Planet X um, if they want to experience just one of the most peculiar gaming experiences of recent yeah, years. I would yes. say. Um, but with the caveat that yes, playing on the hard mode of the search for lost species, we don't know if that's if that's going to be as brutal as it was for us as it will be for you. I wonder if it would make it quite a good solo game. Like I don't know whether that's true, but I think there'd be definitely something pleasing about the amount of different marks and kind of like deductions you make on your own personal bit of paper. Um, you'll lose something from the whole like publishing theory side of the game, but. I think it's something that's, it's a very pleasing deductive puzzle to do solo, which is great because you spend a lot of the game doing it solo. I think it you could consider The Search for Lost Species like one of the most um, uh, fancy and luxurious solitaire games of, uh, of mm. recent years. I do. I think there's definitely stuff in the manual for, for solitaire mode, yeah. That's it for this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We talked about three games. Game number one, good game number two good but not as good game number three a good sequel that's quite well, quite positive that's quite good for us isn't it i like of, when we record nice a podcast games. and it's like we exclusively talk about stuff that we think is pretty good it makes me yeah. wish that that as i mean I, I i was gonna say it makes me wish we could do that all the time but we could we could just kick our you know critical standards into a bin and just start being endlessly positive being effusive about everything I yeah. mean, we are generally quite quite nice, aren't we? We're quite yeah. kind. Yeah, but board games are tricky, aren't they? Because no one needs to own more than, like, I don't know, 20. There's no number you can say, by the way, as an answer to that question, um, that doesn't make you sound demented to someone. Like, if I say, no one needs to own more than 10 board games, then people are going to be like, why would you need 10 board games? That's preposterous. Yeah. But, but realistically, I've cut my collection off at 100 board games because I think that's enough. I think um, that sounds like the right number. I think I'm trying to go into this year implementing a three-star rating system for everything. Uh, go on. And I think because I was think so and 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 I think that we should only cover games that are two or three star. Okay. Yeah. Unless it's but like I a think, 
a really flash sequel that everyone's going to want to know about and play. And if it's bad, yeah. then it's like a public service to be like, my, hey. my, my case for the three-star rating system is most stuff is is realistically is going to be one star, realistically, okay. which is great because it means that, you know, everyone lives busy lives. What do they have time for? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's you're a, saying you're a saying user-focused. Three-star, definitely yeah. make time for it. Two-stars, Get involved if you want. One star, don't go near it. it. Not don't go near it. It's just like, it's yeah, either it is actively bad and, and not good and you don't want to spend time on it, or it's just not good enough to actively be worth pursuing. So you've taken the four star movie rating system and turned star one and two into the same rank. Exactly. Because people don't have, That's you know, kinda. you haven't got enough time on this planet to deal with, uh, to deal with things that are sort of give or take. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. Do you want to write Thanks. to all the, the newspapers of, of the UK? And, try and I'll be like, oh, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> You're using a four-star rating system, which by my three-star rating system is actually a two-star rating system. You so know, therefore, my, you should access it. My first games journalism job was for PC Gamer, and I had to rank games in a percentile system. That's also good. I quite like that as well. <laughs> yeah, those are the two good rating systems. It's three stars or 100 stars. Yeah, Those are, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Great. Nothing cool. in between. Th- Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Hopefully, we'll be back next month, week, whatever. What do we do? I don't know. Look, it's early in the year. Shut up. Leave me alone. Goodbye. Get on uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Give it. Leave us a three-star review. Give us at least See- ninety-six <laughs> stars. <laughs> Bye. Bye.